0: gut a deer with a dull knife. We all know how much that sucks. So um, take a look at the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase.
1: Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Thomas. Joining me today, Micah.
2: Yeah, I always get confused. I don't know if you're... Because you look at me when you're talking. Do I need to say my own name? Are you about to say it?
1: I enjoy doing this every week. Just messing with you. Yeah. Seeing how it'll work. Okay. Keeps the listeners on their toes. It's just enjoyable for me more than anything, to be honest with you.
2: Well, as long as you're happy. Yeah. Let me guess. We have a good one today? We do. We do have a good (laughs) one today. If If anybody notices... Everyone we do is a good one, according to Nathan.
1: Maybe I need to start saying they're great ones when they're great, good when they're good. Well, I don't know. Spectacular that. when they're even better.
2: I don't know because then you're just kind of. I think they'd all be spectacular then, right? <laughs> we have a spectacular <laughs> one yet again. Yeah, but no, we had uh, Nick on, who's actually a fellow uh, Sportsman's Nation podcaster. And uh, we'd go over some recipes and different things like that. Uh, what His podcast is The Hunter Yep. So, really good podcast. You guys should definitely go check it out and go follow all his social media and stuff like that. But, yeah, really good podcast, and we just kind of go See? over.
1: See? I said they're really good, and I'm right. You just said that.
2: Yeah, but you always say it at the beginning. Like, we got a good one for you today. Well, yeah. Where, when do you
1: want me to say it?
2: I don't know. Just, like, maybe how I did it. Do it how I do it.
1: And so it'll be a minute and a half into it instead. Yes, folks. We're sorry that we're fighting on air, <laughs> but it is what it is. We're yeah. we're having a fun time. Yeah. Um. Mike is right. It is a good one. The Huntervore is a terrific podcast. If you don't know or if you don't listen to him, you should. He's a fellow Sportsman's Nation podcaster. Like Micah said, it's a it's an enjoyable episode. I knew I was going to learn a lot on this one. Nick gives us some awesome recipes. Gives us two cool deer recipes. We talk about how to handle your deer after shooting it, which mm-hmm. is really the most important part. And talk some turkey. Talk some wild turkey, which I was hoping to talk to him about, so I'm glad we did. Yeah.
2: But one thing before we get into the episode, uh, we did have a few technical difficulties throughout. <laughs> a few. But, I, you know, we should be able to take care of a lot of that during yeah. editing. But, you know, just so you're aware.
1: Yeah. You're going to hear us stop and start again and and that's because um stuff messed up
2: yeah we live out in the boonies our internet's not that good
1: sorry we can't do what it is (laughs) yeah we can't do nothing about that yeah we were talking from missouri to michigan tonight and a few times it didn't work yep So, so enjoy the show this is the missouri woods and water podcast all right on the show t- with us today is Nick Otto with the Hunter of War podcast. Nick, what's going on, man?
3: Hey, how's it going? Hey, Micah. Dude, I tell you what, it's uh, it's cold up here, here in Michigan. We uh, we got dumped on with a bunch of snow, so we're just kind of getting back into, uh, we got it all pushed out of the way now. Now we're just getting back to, to real life again. Yeah. But uh, yeah, living the dream. I've already got uh, got a nice cold brew and ready to talk with some dudes tonight.
1: I will tell you this, uh, so we're recording this podcast on February 8th. It might not come out uh, for a week or two, but you all can keep that cold. Uh, Yeah, we (laughs) we got a taste of it right now, and we're supposed to have it for the next
2: at least 10 days or so. You guys can take it back.
1: Yeah, we're not used to it being under 10 degrees for seven straight days down here. So we're kind of in baby mode right now. We're all (laughs) acting like little babies. Yeah.
3: Yeah, us us up in the Northern Midwest, this is our like one claim to fame that we get to go around and act tough to all the other States. Cause we're like, really, it's not that old. Like, I mean, it's just the wind that's that bad. Throw on another sweater. You'll be fine. Yeah. That's our, our
2: <laughs> that, isn't that the most wit- Midwestern thing somebody can say though, it wouldn't be that bad if it wasn't for the wind. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> I mean, everybody says that.
3: So.
1: And we get to return the favor by the way, in the summer when it's 98 with 95% humidity, and we can we can oh. tell you not to be babies about it up there.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I'm on shirt number 3 and I'm like, "Listen, I can't handle any more sweat. I can't handle any more humidity." <laughs> Uncle, come on. Get, I'm just hanging out by my freezer at that point. Yeah.
1: I I do the same thing, but at least I'm down here so I can pee I can pretend like I'm I'm tough. Right. <laughs> so, we are excited about today's show uh So before we get into it, though, uh, some of our listeners might not know about your podcast. Uh, Nick is a fellow Sportsman's Nation Network podcast, uh, the Hunt of War podcast. Um, So if you haven't checked him out, you should. Um, He makes me feel kind of stupid every time I listen to him, to be honest with you, because he's so good at cooking and and stuff. But uh, why don't you introduce yourself real quick and kind of give the listener a quick rundown about uh, your podcast and
3: what you do? Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, uh, Huntboard podcast, part of yeah, the Sportsman's Nation. I tell you, it's a group of relatable guys and gals that have really come together and just created content that we can all relate to. Um, so whether you're from Missouri up to here in Michigan, um, we've got content that you can use. Mine specifically is I focus on after the shot that you know you've already put that big buck down or you've finally got that nanny doe uh, off your food plot you got to do something with them, you know, and we want to make sure we give the utmost respect to these critters. We've we've put the time into pursuing them. We've put the time into creating habitat for them. Now we want to be able to honor that beast at, to its full potential. So being able to uh, kind of just talk with people on my podcast on how do you cook your wild game? Uh, we talk a lot about venison just because that's king here in Michigan, but we also talk about turkey. We talk about Uh, waterfowl, we try to, I try to cover all the bases, but the whole idea is just kind of get rid of the stigma that gamey is bad. Um, Are these critters wild? Do they eat corn and soybean that we feed domestic all the time? No. And they're going to have a different flavor. So rather than try to cover it up, rather than try to say, ah, it's no good because if you overcook a duck, uh, it's liver, you know, let's talk about how to cook that duck right so that it doesn't taste like liver. Um, our specialty is, you know, we want to celebrate our hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. So that's, that's Huntivore in a nutshell.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, we're on the same network. You could kind of say we're brothers, right? Kind (laughs) of. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers got a (laughs) hug. Um, do
2: you mess with any small game like squirrels and rabbits? Do you cover any of those on your show?
3: Yeah. Um, I would say probably that between you know, bluegills and crappies, uh, and white tails. And I was going to say, we all, we also get into the big lakes and fish. Um, small game has a great tradition here in Michigan, um, between rabbits and squirrels. It's anything you can get to at that point. You know, you go out with a group of guys and everybody's got either a, a 20 gauge and old four ten, or someone's rocking a 22 and we're trying to peg as, as many of those critters as possible. Um, yeah. We, we enjoy them fried. We enjoy you know, you give them a little par cook and then uh, a little breading and fry them up. And it's just, uh, it's like a little piece of chicken at that point. Um, I like them a little bit more lower, low and slow, um, where then you can pick it and then do different things with it, with it. whether it be a dumpling. Um, one of my little experiments I tried last year was actually taking a shredded squirrel and putting it into a yeast bowl that I had caramelized onions and a piece of Havarti cheese. I ended up calling them bushy tail buns, and those things went over. I mean, it's like a it's like a little sandwich at that point, but it's all in case, and you bake it all together, and I tell you, it's like a little treat on the inside of that thing. Yeah, that's,
2: that sounds delicious.
3: Well, what we're going
1: to give the listener today is we're kind of really going to give them a, a snapshot into your what your podcast is. I mean, They can go so much deeper than what we're really probably going to go today. Although we might go pretty deep, but we're going to mostly focus on venison. I think. Although you you mentioned wild turkey, and I probably am going to pick your brain at some point tonight about that. So be ready for that. But uh, um, you know, so what we're kind of going to do today is for those those people out there in Missouri or in the Heartland that are listening to this podcast, um, is kind of talk about you know a few easy recipes that. Are ways they can enjoy venison without them? I don't know. Being the normal, you know, everybody talks about. Well, I, I make it into jerky or, or whatever. Um, it doesn't have to just be that because, like you said, you celebrate that quote unquote gaminess and you think of ways to bring the flavor out, utilizing it instead of trying to cover it up. So, um, I guess we can just jump right into it. What What are some? What is one way you love kind of? preparing venison that's not um some master chef way to do it it's it's actually pretty easy
3: yeah um one thing that we all enjoy is just a steak whether it be you know at this point we talk about domestic and you know you get a piece of ribeye or something on the grill and having that short grain on beef is just i mean it tastes amazing and we can get that same sensation of a beautiful tender piece of meat off of a whitetail, but it all starts first with your care of it. Um, and when I'm when I'm pulling that animal, as much as I would like to drive it around and show all my buddies, take it to the buck pole, have it hang up for you know a couple of days, the first you know, get that sucker chilled out. So it's opening up that cavity getting as much heat off that as possible um, and getting it down into a safe realm where we're not going to have it spoil. Uh, Second thing is after you got that temp down, you want to let the enzymes um, that are naturally working in the body and that rigor mortis that starts to happen um, as soon as that animal hits the ground, you want to let that have its time to do that. So, and granted, you know, down in Missouri, you know, you're, you're battling temperatures that we don't necessarily have here in Michigan. If I get, you know, a late season deer, I can hang it up in my garage for a week. No problem. Yeah. Um, whereas you, you might not have that ability. It might be, I got to get it to the processor now, or it's, I, you know, I got a couple days that it can hang. Um, but in like Thursday is going to get up in the seventies, you know, 75, I, I can't just let it hang there. Um, so utilizing either some, some fridge space or something, but giving that meat time to be able to relax. So Um, that was
1: your, your first thing would be, you got to let it cool, right? I mean, more than anything.
3: Yeah, we, we got to come down to temp.
1: So um, let me ask you this: t- I got I got something that happened to me li- okay. this year, and I'm I'm worried about it. Uh, I haven't eaten them yet, so I'm, I'm curious. So I shot a buck during archery season in Missouri, and and that week was right before rifle season. You're talking, you Post know, 40. second week of November, and um, it wasn't the greatest shot. So I let him sit overnight, unfortunately, and found him the next morning, and it was almost sixty degrees the next morning. Now. He had just died maybe an hour or two before I found him. So it was the right call backing out because I would have bumped him, it sounds like. But so I immediately gutted him and got him straight to our processor who specializes in deer. Um, So shout out to cutting up deer processing or meat processing in Warrensburg, Missouri. But um, so the first thing he did was hung him up and put him in the fridge or I guess the cooler. Yeah, the cooler. And he usually does that for, I think it's at least three days before they do anything with them um, in the cooler. So sounds like I made the right choice on, you know, field dressing them and getting them straight there instead of doing anything else with them.
3: Yeah, you did the right thing. Good. Um, once you got him and you got him over to the processor, that was as quick as you could get that sucker cooled down. And the other thing, too, is we play into – um there's no absolutes in what we do. You can practice bow hunting or you can practice uh, shooting your bow all season. And right at that moment of truth, you know, something outside of your con- your control happens. And so it's like, man, we're not, we're not like the domestic guys. We're not like a slaughterhouse where we can have these conditions put in our favor. A lot of times it's outside of our parameters. So you have to adapt and you have to be, you know, basically play the cards that you're dealt even if it's farmer, if you guys know what that is down in, in Missouri. We play a game called Euchre, and if you get all 9s and 10s, that's that's no good. But it happens. <laughs> so at that point, you made the right call of, yeah, getting him cleaned out and getting him over to the processor. So that's good. You know, if he just died within that hour, um, you know, he would have been boiling down the hoof if, uh, if anything detriment was going to happen. But it sounds like you made the good call and got in there.
2: Okay, I, I got a question for you about it's kind of the same lane. Let's say you get one down, everything's good. You get them uh, gutted or whatnot. How? What are the perfect temperatures to let them hang if you're wanting to process it yourself? So, as far as if I got a tree out in the back and I can let it hang, nothing's going to get to it. Yeah. What kind of temperature? What's too hot and what's well mainly too hot? Cause yeah, because that it can be can, touchy it, here. Yeah, because it can be up yeah. and down.
3: Gotcha. Um, I don't have necessarily something from any like like USDA facility. I'd, I'd have to double check on what they themselves do. But if I've got a nice dark garage and it's going to get down to like 35, you know, just above freezing, I feel really good about leaving it overnight in, um, in my shop. If Even if I get a really cold night, and I would say even into the 40s, I feel pretty good for an initial cool down. You know, I'm going to want to pay attention to it. I'm going to want to keep it out of any sunlight. I want to get it, you know, if as long as I've got a cool cement floor, that's going to help be a a heat tank where it's going to suck any heat out of the, uh, out of the, out of the air inside the, the garage there. Yeah. Um, When I start seeing mid fifties and sixties, I, I start to really try to put a plan into into action where yeah if i start seeing 50s it's going to be one of those clean out your fridge and hang it in the fridge because at least that point i can control uh the temperature that i've got going on inside there and a normal fridge will hold anywhere from like that 30s to 40s in there depending on how hot that meat is it's going to have an initial shock you know you're going to shock the system of that uh refrigerator and that compressor is going to have to really kick in uh, to get that temperature down, but a couple of days inside a normal residential fridge uh, will do just fine if you can't find those, you know, 40, 30s to 40s that you're really looking for. Right. Okay.
1: Yeah, and to go back to that initial story too, I, I was still tickle pink either which way because initially I thought there was no way I was going to salvage his meat, so I was just sick to my stomach over it because the night I shot him was also, I think it was like 62 degrees when I shot him and it was only supposed to stay or rise overnight a little bit. So I thought there was no way we were going to salvage the meat. And, uh, I guess lucky for me and not lucky for the deer. I don't mean this because he did suffer unfortunately for a good portion of the night. Um, but he, he hadn't even started you know with any of his stiffness and there was so much heat still in his cavity when I opened him up that he had to have died recently before I before I got there to, to find him the next morning so I was at least happy that he wasn't spoiled from that aspect because had he died right after I shot him for whatever reason sitting for 12 I think 14 hours after I shot him was when we went to look there's that that's some probably some bad meat at that point so I mean it we did salvage it, and, and um, I think it'll be good, but uh, I was just curious on your thoughts on that cool-down idea. Um, so first process, yeah. cooling down, very important.
3: So that's good for the listener to know. Where do you go from there? Uh, they, yeah, if you've got that ability, give them, give them a hang. And I know this. Is, we're already walking into this, and guys are sitting there thinking, like, shoot, I didn't hang my deer at all. And here we are past season. Like, is my venison ruined? No. No, again, these are all like, if we're going to if we're gonna try to get our meat to the optimum uh, level, this is stuff that we can do. And this is just notes that they can take down for, for next year, um, that they can kind of put some of this into practice. Um, I like to hang them for seven days. Um, I know on some beef, they'll even hang them two weeks uh, before they even start cutting them on them. So I'll, given that we're half the size of that animal, I figured seven days, uh, was a good round number. And I think I can really tell the difference between a deer that I cut up like the night before or give just an overnight and then begin cutting on them into one that I've given up to a week. Um, I don't remember necessarily the author of the study. Um, but off the, well, I think it was Danielle Pruitt from the Eater crew. She okay. did a whole article on how from day one to day seven, if you were to put the level of tenderness, I don't even know what metric they were using on this, but there was exponential tenderizing happening from day one to day seven. And then you started to see that, that peak as it goes like the bell curve, like almost like a reverse bell curve at this point, where then from day seven to day 14, that process slowed down. It was still happening, but at a much slower rate. And then I think it even almost, I don't want to say flatlined, but again, very much mellowed out from 14 to 21. So given that information, it's like the bulk of that tenderizing is going to happen between day one and day seven. Um, So if a guy's only got four days, Hey, that's better than one day at that point. You know, that's three extra days that you've been able to just let um, the enzymes that are in the body work themselves out to be able to let that rigor mortis process settle and relax everything. And from that uh, process, you're going to, I think you're going to definitely tell it whether a guy processes his own or at that point, gets it to a processor um the cutter is going to definitely notice a difference in tender tenderness once they get past those like seven
1: gotcha that makes sense i didn't know i mean that's i didn't even think of that i mean
2: i've never been able to i do all my own butchering myself with my deer and stuff and i've never been able to leave them for an extended period of time so i haven't had the luxury of trying that out and but
1: well and like like we said earlier in Missouri, it's just sometimes – I mean, there's times like like we talked about at the beginning of this show that it is cold for extended periods of time, but there's a lot of times you'll go from, you know, 32 degrees one day, 47, 53, 56, 31, and, you know, there's, so there's, there's a lot of guys and gals that just can't – they can't or won't do it for those extended periods of time. So you just don't see them here hanging that long. Uh, at least I don't that often, right? Um, at least in our area, right? But uh, um, I didn't know. I mean, the tenderization—you know—you got that exponential growth really from one to seven days. Mm-hmm. So if you have the ability to, that—that's a good thing to know.
3: Yeah, for sure. And again, yeah, and you know, it's one of those—it's optimum. Like, y- if you can do it, great. Yeah. If not, like, it's that you get either got to problem solve or it's just one of those things. Like, hey, it is—it is what it is yeah um that i kind of i i do have my extra beer beer fridge that you know we keep the extra stuff like you know right now we got three kids that two of them still are are loving milk they love the vitamin d milk so we're getting gallon after gallon and so like all of our overflow from the inside fridge goes to that fridge but at deer season they the whole family knows that at some point it's all got to come out and something's got to happen with it in case dad gets a deer and it's warm. Like at that point, I just fridge, uh, at bay. So it's like, all right, I can then quarter that deer out and I can fit, you know, I can hang two hinds in, uh, one of those, uh, residential fridges and then hang down or set the shoulders on the, the bottom rack. Um, I do like to try to keep the back strap on as much as the spine and rib at that point. Um, I know we're we're dealing with CWD, so it's one of those things. Like as soon as you break that spinal column, you know you've kind of opened up the can of worms. But as a processor, that's you know that's going to happen. So you just got to be prepared for that and how to deal with it once you've done that. But anyway, leaving the spinal column intact and leaving uh, the back straps on there is a great way to let all of that uh, rigor mortis and enzyme work happen, uh, but at the same time in a residential setting you know, guy comes home, he doesn't have necessarily a big old cooler to throw a whole deer in, but he can wax it up and then get it inside of your, your backup fridge. And then, uh, just tell the wife that her, uh, her white calls gotta stay.
1: Yeah. I will say this. I'm really excited, uh, here in about like two weeks, I think my wife's buying a new fridge for the kitchen and I'm (laughs) finally going to get a backup fridge in the garage. Uh, I think I'm more, I'm more excited about the backup fridge in the garage than I am spending whatever we're going to freaking spend on the stuff from wherever (laughs) we're going uh i'm more excited about the old one going out into the garage (laughs)
2: there you go so let's jump into some recipes um so where do you like like we said at the beginning what's some uh good easy ones that we can get our listeners to give a try this year i mean obviously you know the season's over so hopefully everybody's got a little bit of deer in their fridge or in their freezer and they're wanting to try something out
3: Good deal. Yes. So we got through the the basic Um, and now you really cooking some of that stuff up. Um, One technique that I love when it comes to making steaks, um, I've now got my aged piece of steak that I've taken really good care of. And uh, I won't necessarily butterfly it out. I won't stake it out while I'm cutting it up. I'll do that after I cook. Uh, A lot of times with a back strap, um, it gets real thin. And you lose control when you make things really thin. Uh, Okay. Raw to dry, I mean, super fast. And folks that know their way even around a a grill, if you are not totally on top of that, you know, it it, it always gets away from you. So being able to give yourself control. So what I'll do is I'll end up taking uh, one of my back straps and I keep them in like, Six to eight inch sections. So I'll take like either a whole backstrap and cut it into thirds, or even half. And then I will add a reverse sear method onto this backstrap. And we all love medium rare, and for a lot of people, even taking it to rare. But you end up with this bull size effect if you go straight to the grill or straight to the cast iron is a method that I've, I've preached up and down on my, uh, my podcast and and whoever I seem to talk to, i am like, this is, if anybody's like wondering how to cook venison and how do I get my back straps to just taste amazing, this, this is the method you want to use. And what I'm basically using time and temperature on my, uh, knowing, uh, about what's going on and just guessing the doneness I want to know for a fact uh so what i'll do is i will salt and pepper or add whatever seasoning i want to them if i'm going for a reverse sear i want to go more heavy on the salt and probably less heavy on the pepper at that point just because i'm going to be using a lot of heat and that pepper is going to get lost it's those oils that give us the real peppery fiery flavor that we want that ends up uh charring up and then not it's at that point more bitter than the pepper so i am lighter on the pepper at the initial stage and then what i'll do is i'll put a meat probe into that piece of meat um i've currently been playing with actually it's right out of kansas city near you guys uh company Papacue. i've got a bluetooth uh meat probe that i'm able to put in and i can bring it up on my phone and i know the exact temperature yeah of those things. I have an Insta read, I have a dial one that I've got that I use on my giving turkey once a year. Use that. If you can if you've got a way to check the temperature of the inside instantaneously, that's going to help you. And I'm it's not going onto the grill at this point and I'm not even going on the skillet. I'm going to go into the oven. And I'll set my oven for like two fifty, put those in on a on a cookie sheet with a rack. And those are going to be basically slowly heated up until after. you want rare. When that feeds 115 to 120, you pull it out. When your thermometer 120 to 124 and you want medium rare, that's when you pull that out. Let that rest at that point. And while it's resting, you can then heat up the, gr- heat up the grill, heat up the cast iron pan, I do like to go with the cast iron pan on this route because then I can add my herbs in there. I can add more of my pepper. I can add the, you know, the sliced up garlic that. Then I'm going to spoon the butter on top. Um, but at that, that point I am now going to add the sear, hence the reverse sear part of it. So I've done the internal cooking. It's going to come out eh, a little gray. And now I want to be able to add that char on the outside. So- uh, a couple friends off of a different podcast, um, Justin Townsend talks about taking a brush and putting a main I thought that was crazy. Uh, say that again,
1: you, Nick. We we lost you on that. When he you said your friend he, he takes a brush or and then we just kinda lost you there. Shoot, sorry. That's oh, all right.
3: So yeah, I got a friend over off of um, harvesting nature, Justin Townsend. And he has a trick where you you literally brush on a thin layer of mayonnaise. You know, we're talking Hellman's at this point. And you're like, man, is that going to work? You emulsific- emulsified oil and the emulsified egg inside that, man, you, you put that onto a hot skillet or you put that onto the grill and you get a sear and a char that you can't get off of venison just on its own um adding oil you know it just more or less burns on the outside this the mayo trick is super slick huh
2: that's something i'm really gonna try because i've always had a problem getting that right sear on my steaks or whatnot but i do have a question before we move on whenever you bring it up to that initial uh temp that whenever you're just putting in the oven a you probably that'd be probably be a good thing you could probably do that in your smoker as well right and B, how long are you letting it rest once you pull it out before you put the sear on there?
3: Yeah, any element that you have that can heat up something evenly, that can be an oven, that can be a smoker. You could even do that initial stage on an offset kettle grill like a Weber or a PK or whatever grill you're running if you're even in direct heat and indirect heat, but you can get it cool enough to where you're not, uh basically a, hitting it with so much heat if you can keep it right around that 200 250 realm you're going to be golden on it.
1: okay nice yeah i think i struggle with that i'm bad because i'm a guy who i i do freak out about undercooking things at times and uh with wild game i'll i'll be cooking it on the grill and i'll think i'm almost there i'm almost there and then 2 minutes later charred you know just like you were saying nick and so i'm i'm gonna i've got some uh some back straps and some and some fillets off this this deer we just talked about and so i'm going to uh i'm going to try it that way i'm going to put them in the oven up to temp just and i'm gonna try that mayonnaise thing for sure yeah
2: that mayonnaise sounds good (laughs) but uh, but back to the how long are you letting it cool down before you put the sear on there
3: i'm even going about 10 to 15 minutes okay um it's, it's, oh man, you're fighting every element of yourself to be like, no, no, it's going to get too cold. It's going to, it's going to stop cooking and I, I got to rush this and I don't want to lose, it looks so good right now. I don't want to lose that. And you, you do everything you can to just fight yourself from doing that because having that rest out, well, basically what you're doing is, you know, you have applied at this point low heat to it, but even so, you've bombarded this piece of flesh with all this heat, and on the inside of that, there's different pockets it's now high, or too much heat was added, and by letting it rest, A, you're going to have a little carryover, and carryover is you've applied the heat, and now it needs to express itself, so you actually might see, that's why I asked you to pull it out if you wanted rare at 115, people are like, whoa, whoa, that's not, that's too low but you're going to carry over on a solid piece of meat like that, you know, two to five degrees at that point. So if I pulled it out at 120, wanting rare, I'm going to end up automatically at medium rare because of the carryover. It's going to keep cooking for a couple minutes while it's sitting there. So pulling out just, and like Nate was saying too, you're just so nervous about, man, did I get it enough? And being able, able to give yourself that answer with a whether it's a five dollar insta read meat probe or a little dial one that you pick up for two bucks whatever it is next time you're into ace hardware or just you know even at the grocery store and you see one and you don't have one i would suggest it. if you're going to be a hunter and you're going to continue to try to up your wild game game get yourself a meat probe because that is going to give you valuable information if you want medium rare this is able to tell you when it's medium rare
1: nice that's a great i, I mean yeah not had thought of, i had not thought of that one even close i mean <laughs> not even in my mind to think of I cooking mean, the steaks I've, that way i've
2: tried the i've tried it this way i still haven't perfected it myself cuz i've i don't do i don't let it rest enough in between you know, because I always I right. cook I cook on my grills. My wife she uses the oven. I use my grills. I got a smoker, and I use that. A, you sounded really sexist, well, that sounded really sexy. I'm just saying. There. Well, I'm just saying. I don't I don't like messing with the oven, and I but I have a Blackstone as well, which is pretty much just a huge cast iron, and so I'll do it in between those. But I never give them enough time to rest, so I always end up overcooking it. Right. And I like I like rare, and so you know. Yeah, it always seems to be medium rare, even medium sometimes.
1: I'm the same way. We, I mean, we both have uh, wood pellet grills or smokers, and yep. and uh, like on my beef steaks, I'll put them in the 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 smoker and I'll I'll smoke them. I guess you'd call it at 180 to 200 for however long I really feel like it, and get them close to a temperature I want, and then then I'll turn it up and finish them. But I don't ever pull them off and let it sit prior to. Turning it up and finishing them, so um, that might be something to try. With just with with yeah. anything, really, is let yeah. it rest for a little bit and then finish it off.
2: Now, uh, before yeah. before we get to start, are you letting your meat uh, whenever you pull it out of the fridge? Are you letting it come up to room temperature, or are you putting it
3: on there cold? I like to get it up to room temp, so okay. I'll pull it out. So let's say dinner's at yeah five thirty, six o'clock, or whatever. As soon as I get home from work, that package is coming out, and I'm throwing that in the counter. Or even into the sink and tap water. I'm trying to thaw that out, um, and as soon as I get it at least unthawed, at that point it still might be chilly. I'm I'm gonna put on some salt and whatever seasoning I want to want to at that point. Um, I feel even given my my seasoning, maybe another 45 minutes of doing some work on the meat also helps. Uh, but yeah, I try to get let that go up to room temperature. Um, I don't play that game necessarily as hard as far as I might give it 45 minutes, uh, to an hour once I've added the the seasoning on top of it. But like, as far as being like, is this actual room temp, I I don't go that far with it, but yeah, giving it some time to, to come up, especially when you're coming to a reverse sear method like this, I know guys that go with a traditional sear will try to have it be colder because at that point, they can hit the outside hard and the inside won't start to get as done because it is chilly. The problem is, is you end up with a bullseye effect. Mm-hmm. You get a small like center region of what you wanted, of your rare, of your medium rare. And then each little layer on the outside is one stage more done up until you get to like that last quarter inch that's all well. And you're like, ah, man, like, I wish this was a little wider. And by, by using this reverse sear with a room uh, temperature piece of meat, or at least um, a warmer piece of meat at that point, you can widen that uh, bullseye effect. Now, are there guys that can, they've got, you know, either restaurant experience or whatever, and they just know like, hey, I'm going to sear this one side super hard. This is going to be my presentation side. And then kind of just ease it over, you know, flip it and give it one easy cook on the other side to when they want it done. I tell you, there's a lot of tricks uh, that they can do. Um, the one that I found, at least for the simple, the simpleton that I am, is that I can see where that temperature's at, and that's where I go with the reverse sear.
1: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That, that's a easy way to do it too. Get bring it to temp, put it in the oven until you get to the temp you pretty much want, and. Finish it off with some mayonnaise. <laughs> that is
3: not what I thought we would be talking about today. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I like that I, idea though. Talk about it, and I'm like, dude, I still can't even believe. Like, how did you figure that out? And it was off some article he got um, down in Florida that somebody was talking about what they were doing. Some Cajun down there had this crazy idea, so he said, All right, "I'll, I'll give it a try." And then he ended up writing a whole article on how uh, this is just the new way to do things. And, I, you know, I did. I uh, looked at it, and I said, I got nothing to lose. I might as well do it. And I haven't looked back since. Now, I wouldn't suggest Miracle Whip, but uh, I've had good success with the helmets.
1: Someone's still got to explain to me the difference between Miracle Whip and mayonnaise. It's it's still something <laughs> I struggle with to this day. Like, it's that white stuff. What's the difference? Yeah, it, uh, I'm not a mayonnaise person, so I, I still don't really get the whole debate. <laughs> Let's not get into uh, it I, either. <laughs>
3: We, we got to do a Pepsi challenge here. The next episode, I want to hear about Nate, you know, blindfolded and eating two jars of some <laughs> unnamed oven, And then you tell him which one is which. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I will fail. I'll just guess at that point. Yeah, know, like, this good. one tastes like garbage. So does this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, awesome. Well, do you have any other uh, recipes for us? Yeah,
1: so that was a steak. I mean, unless you're not done with it, but that was a good steak recipe for folks. And, I mean, it seems pretty simple. It's not, you know, not it, that hard.
3: So, yeah. So, we got steaks covered. Uh, next category. Is, I gave myself some categories here to try and, try and keep going. And uh, ground. Ground is something that everybody has um, for making burgers, for making chili, for making tacos, wh- whatever you want to do with it. The stuff is a brick of gold, I tell you. It really, And it really shines, like, on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night when all the kids got to go to practice and you got to whip something up to have one of those that either you pull out and put in the fridge the night before, or even the, you know, the morning before you go to work, put one of those in the fridge to come home and either make patties or, or start your, start your chili. That is like, it, it's a great thing to have on hand at all times. And I feel that even in the, the wild game world, that guys are even like, Oh, like, either it's in two camps like oh man i made too much burger i didn't get creative with my stuff but i feel like i failed the animal and then other folks are like i i want to do i want to eat as much as i can and our family uses ground a lot so of those two camps i don't think you can go wrong other than the fact that if you're not using it then that's the ultimate failure at that point but to look to say that uh, you failed the animal by making a ton of burger i feel is a I think, I think we're looking at the wrong direction this way because there's so many different things you can do with burger. Um, and I'll, I'll get into a recipe here that I do with burger that I really enjoy. Um, but at the same time, every recipe is going to do really well. One thing that I have found that when I get my burger out, it has a lot of purge in it. And granted, any package that you pull out, whether it be a steak, whether it be a whole roast that you're going to do, or if it's just a package burger – it's going to have the purge. And the purge is basically that, what we refer to it, I mean, people refer to it as blood. You open up the package, oh, look at all that blood that's there. Well, that's that purge. That's the extra moisture that was either in the cells that is now leached out, extra mitochondria. It's not necessarily all blood at that point. But anyway, to just get that extra moisture off the burger before you go to any next stage of your cook is going to amp up your level of both the venison flavor off that and the way that it's going to cook you're going to not end up steaming uh your burger in whatever you've got there you're going to end up actually cooking it at that point so i make a i make a meatball that is essentially something i can make in roughly 20 minutes um we come back from practice or even like before practice I've, i you know i start making them up and i use a, a pound of ground I've got a bunch of either saltine or Ritz crackers that I've already crunched up. And a lot of times I just, you know, throw a bunch in the bag and then hand the bag to my two-year-old. And pretty soon all those crackers are <laughs> like itty-bitty pieces. He's yep. really good at... Pre- <laughs> um, add, a, add some milk and then whatever Italian seasoning at that point um, is what I end up, end up making into these meatballs. And so by first adding the rich, the cracker uh, crumbs or the little bits of cracker in there with the milk, let the milk soak into those cracker crumbs. And at the same time, I'm also taking my ground out of the, out of the sleeve and, or out of the Ziploc bag, whatever you got it in, and I'm breaking it up over top of like two layers of paper towel. And I am going to let much moisture leach off that as possible. So I'm kind of doing two things here. I'm prepping my binder, and at the same time, I'm also letting as much moisture leach out of this ground as possible. Gotcha. As it's leaching, I'm throwing some salt on top of that, and I end up then moving, removing the meat. All right, we're back, folks. We had a little bit of the old technical difficulties
1: with Nick. Um, so you might hear Nick a little differently Uh, For the rest of the show than you did At the the beginning of the show Uh, He'll probably hear sound a lot better Uh, For whatever reason we were having some issues So sorry about that Um, But Nick welcome back
3: Hey thanks for having me back on again
1: (laughs) We we liked you so much We had you back on the very same episode
3: The very same
1: episode (laughs) Um, So Let's get back. I mean, you know where we dropped you, so kind of just get back into what you were talking about uh, with the folks, and we'll we'll just run from there.
3: Gotcha, gotcha. So I was getting long-winded when I was talking about uh, leaching out that meat. But what I'm trying to do, I'm speeding up where I'm talking, trying to get back us where we are uh, currently, and that was I want to get as much moisture off of the ground as possible. Um, when you see amazing, uh, like, burgers – or even like meatballs where they do have that uh, char on the outside. And we want to be able to get that char. We want to be able to get that color without necessarily the mayonnaise trick because it's not going to work on the ground. I guess I haven't tried that on the ground. We'll we'll put that down for a later experiment. But the idea (laughs) is getting the moisture off the meat is going to let me brown that meat as opposed to steam it steam it's not going to get me the color it's not going to get me the taste that i'm looking for it's going to leave things bland even if i add a ton of salt even if i add a ton of pepper a ton of spice there's just going to be something that doesn't quite fit doesn't something not quite right so by getting all the moisture off it's going to brown it's going to get that caramelization it's going to get that maillard effect that we're looking for on either stuff that we brown for chili or wherever we're going, because, yeah, I'm going to bring that back around to my meatballs here. Now that I can add the meat into my breadcrumb, now I use an 80-20 grind, so I do add pork back fat into okay. my grind. Uh, 20%, 80% is just going to be lean venison, um, and that just helps with cooking at that point. That just gives me a wider range. It's not so lean. I can patty things together, and w- which comes into play with my... Uh, meatballs here is after they got with the binder seasonings go in, I mix this all with my hands and I just roll up a couple nice balls. We're looking at, you know, golf ball sized uh, pieces of meat here at this point. And then immediately to the cast iron where burger is going to be a little different than your steak. You can go right to hot on this one. And I want to sear all those sides uh, as much as I can Um, working in a pattern that I can remember. So actually what I'll do is I'll start like, think of your pan as like a clock face. I'll start one at 12 and I start plopping them in, going all the way around on the outside. And then if I have room, do like four on the inside. But by the time I get them all placed, I go back to high noon and then roll that one. And my one side is already, or the, you know, whatever section already has a nice color to it. And then I just do that process going all the way around. Again, I'm, I'm yeah. a simpleton. I'm going to get lost in the process. So if I make it stupid simple, I can at least follow that. It's better than the chaos oh. that we usually
1: yeah. uh, just throw <laughs> all my meatballs on on the grill. And just, I'm just, you know, all, nobody can see this, but, you know, I'm just grabbing <laughs> everything and moving it around with <laughs> usually I, a fork. Did I turn whatever. that
3: one already? <laughs> did I not? Exactly. There's the one mush ball that you can't seem to not touch. And you forget about the one little one off in the corner. He yep, gone. yep He's, Every time. Give that one to the give that one to the dog yeah um then you can go two ways because then i got i got one kid that likes them uh naked and i have another kid who needs them in the sauce so automatically like two balls go off to the side because the naked kid wants those or the kid who likes them naked hopefully he's not naked <laughs> at that point
2: i understand parents, that i got we, we, <laughs> we understand <laughs> that. yeah i got a three-year-old the dude does not like clothes man he's no. naked all I, yeah. the time so we understand <laughs>
3: But then I got another one who needs the sauce on them. So I'll take majority of them and then pour a whole bunch of uh, spaghetti sauce on top of them, around them. And then that whole thing will go and finish in the oven. Um, so at that point, they're all coming up to temp. I'm getting a full cook through. And even if they get a little bit done, to, more done than my liking, I have them in a bath of spaghetti sauce. And at that point, pull those out. You could either go onto a sub bun go on to spaghetti, however you want to use them at that point. I know some folks even want to take them and just <laughs> instead of do the um, marinara sauce or the spaghetti sauce, they go right into barbecue sauce or however you want to do them at that point. Yeah, we do but, a lot of barbecue sauce meatballs down here. Yeah. 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 But I tell you, that's a 20 minute recipe that you can have done. If you got a bunch of people, I mean, a pound will make a whole bunch of them at that point. So you could have a whole crowd fed with you know, two, three pounds of burger, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, that same pound will feed the whole family and just, uh, leave them feeling good.
1: Now. So let me ask you this on, you said you cut yours with some, some pork fat, um, would combining the venison with beef ground also do the same thing. Uh, so the last time I did it and it wasn't meatballs, but I, I did two pounds of venison and a pound of beef ground. Um, because my wife is not a fan of venison and I'm, I'm trying to change that. But anyway, <laughs> d- does that act as the same sort of deal with adding that fat from the, the beef?
3: Yes and no. Okay. In the fact that you're adding in 80-20 beef or, you know, let's say just chuck, which is, I mean, 80-20 is the norm as far as uh, burger being made. Um, that's why I stuck to those ratios. But at the same time, I now take that 20% fat that's inside that beef. And I now mix that in with how much ever I want to be able to mix in of venison at that point. So now I'm, I'm tipping that scale. You know, it might be, it might be 10%. It might be 5%. It will get the job done. But if you could add beef suet or beef fat into straight venison at that point, Mm -hmm. kind of cut out the burger pat pat of it. Beef fat does hold that beefy flavor in there. Pork is relatively neutral, especially when you get to the back fat side. I'm not adding in any pork shoulder. I'm not actually adding flesh. I'm adding just the pork fat, which is relatively neutral. Gives you that good, that's the venison talk at that point. But if you want to tone down that venison, you know, you got a family member like your wife who she's going to have a lot of pull in what you do and you want to make her happy. Pull in some of that beef suet or some of that beef fat Make sure you got the right amount of it, you know, measure out how much you need as far as to make that 20%. And then it's going to really do a good job for you. You'll get the beef that talks mm-hmm. more up front and you're not going to get necessarily the acorny y uh, cedar that everybody's talking about being the gamey side of it. So that's a dumbass question. Can you just buy pork fat?
2: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Usually you, don't you think go, I, to, yes. go to the butcher and then, yeah. I don't yeah.
1: think I know I've never done that.
2: <laughs>
3: So here's the thing. Now, um, just like finding a processor, you want to find a you want to create a relationship with that processor. But you also want to find yourself a slaughterman and a butchering facility, and you become buddy buddy. You start dropping off six packs. You start calling them up, not during season when you necessarily need it, but just periodically. Get, let them know who you are. Um, living where, where I'm at, there's a lot of dairies that are around in the area, and sometimes a lot. Of, well especially a lot of those cattle have to go get slaughtered um, from the dairies. And then we even also have that raise young steers for that and a lot of pig farms around the area. And I found myself a slaughter facility and I've just made myself known whether, you know, I'm going to the shop and I'm, I'm talking to them or, you know, asking when the fair uh, swine's coming in. I tell you, that's the best back fat. You get a, you know, full grained hog fed, or full grain-fed hog mm. off of the fair. You know, some kid has basically pampered this hog all <laughs> all season, all yep. summer. Grandpa's been paying for all that wonderful grain to be able to feed into that hog and to go over and buy the trimmings from the Slaughterman at that point. Oh man, that makes the best sausage. That makes the best burger for you. So if you like venny flavor, go port. If you want to kind of tone it down a little bit, Go with the beef.
2: Okay. Yeah. That's a good. Because, I mean, that makes sense. A lot of sense. Yeah.
1: So, to stay on the ground, the ground venison for a second. So, um, I do, I don't want to kind of go into crazy detail, but I have, I had struggled prior to last year on jerky. I'm a big fan of deer jerky. I mean, a lot of people are. But I, I had always tried to do my own processing, like Micah had talked about earlier. And so, I, I could never cut my strips, you know, all the same width or or the same thickness. And so I'd have some that were done. Some were still way raw. And I finally had a deer processed last year and I had, um, or in 2018. And I had most all of it put into ground, to be honest with you. So I went and bought a jerky gun and found a recipe I like, and I'm finally to the point now where I love my jerky because I know it's all the same thickness. It'll all come out the same time. Um, do you have any pointers for people that are struggling on perfecting deer jerky? Because I'm sure you've got a system you like on jerky um, because that's popular down here for sure. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and you're talking the ground jerky style. So
1: now I'm going ground, yeah. Because that's what I was using. I'm a
3: whole muscle guy. Yeah, sure. I'm a whole and muscle guy. That's I'll how I slice am. them thin. And I can use either my convection oven for that, I can use the smoker for that. And granted, you can do the same thing with the ground jerky as well. Um, good buddy of mine, um, he, he's got the jerky gun. He loves it. And I do. I'm like, oh, you're making cat turds this year. It nice. <laughs> looks what really, they look really like. good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I give them a bunch of bunch of junk, but at the same time, um, it, it is a really good way to make a product, to make a jerky, A, if you don't have a slicer, or B, you've got to find a figure of a way to use this ground up. And a lot of guys don't want to deal with casings. I mean, sausage is a great idea, but if I can make something that tastes as awesome as sausage, dry it out, and be able to package it and have it for an extended period of time, that's definitely the way to go. Um Staying with a leaner style, so maybe not even going to 20% on, on that jerky mix, you know, maybe try, even trying it straight that's, where it's just straight venison. Yep. Um, the fat does help with a little bit of the bind. Um, which is if you can use the natural fat from the venison, which is already going to be minuscule, that's going to be helpful. You need just a little bit in there for bind, but at the same time, Fat does not do well when it comes to drying out and especially freezing or, or holding for long periods of time, the flesh will fat doesn't do that as well. So going with a leaner style at that point. And just like when we're making burger or making sausage through the grinder, um, keeping everything super cold is going to be beneficial. If you can keep that meat just above freezing and you can like chill out the pieces of that jerky gun it's going to come through there much nicer. You're going to get a much more firm pack on that loose ground at that point. Um, And then make sure you mix well. So I would definitely mix your mixings in or your seasonings in well, Mm -hmm. and then keep things uber cool. Um, Once you get to that point, I mean, yeah, you've got, uniform strips so at that point whatever you set as your method whether it's the smoker, or whether it's the oven you're going to get things to finish very close to one another yeah now given warm spots is it the top rack the bottom rack you're going to have to switch that around there's a there's an art along with the science but at the same time yeah keeping everything very cold at the get-go of a leaner cut and that's going to help you out
1: i think that's where i struggled before doing it with ground is I don't, I don't have a slicer, so I would sit there and I would spend hours with a knife trying to get these slices of muscle meat the same width, and it, it never worked, and then some were a foot long, some were this long, so, I mean, and so I, I'd, I'd ruin half the damn jerky I was trying to make because some of it, like I said, was actually overdone by the time I caught it, and some of it still looked freaking raw, and so, uh, you know, I, I think if I invested in the right stuff, probably would help me. But um, I like I like the way I'm doing it now, so I'm gonna keep doing it. Uh, I'm messing with like recipes and different flavors. But um, I was curious how how you thought um, that should go. So so yeah. Nick is Nick is a muscle meat guy. I'll, I'll, I'm with him. I'll to try right, to get, get back it. to it. I'm the, I'm the yeah, same pro, way.
3: pro muscle meat. I'm not. I guess I'm not con cat turds, but it just has a connotation that uh, <laughs> I uh, I've eaten enough of it, and I can't totally like deny that it's not a good piece of meat. It's it's fabulous. It's super good. It doesn't have yeah, that chew I just go, to
2: it. I like the chew, the little bit of chew. Yes, you know that's what I'm like. I'll uh,
3: I'll even cut with the green. I'm to the point where you know I my buddies all uh, chew tobacco. I tried to chew tobacco and just cause it was almost like self peer pressure. And I see he's, he's showing me some of the tin right now. (laughs) I was at the loose leaf. I was at Redman, and I packed that in and about five minutes, my head's already spinning. I got a weak (laughs) stomach anyway, just bad deal. But if I can get some jerky that lasts me for a good 30 minutes, you know, I just kind of I tuck it in my cheek and then chew on it every once in a while. I really like a very chewy jerky at that point.
1: Yep. Nice. Yep. I agree. 100%. Nice. So those are two awesome recipes um, for a steak and some ground. Um, for the sake of time, because I, I want to ask you about wild turkey, because I've only eaten wild turkey one way, and I do love it, but that is fried. So yeah. kill, you know, kill the turkey. You got the breast you batter them fry them tastes great but i'm guessing nick Otto has eaten or turkey wild turkey a different way so what is a really cool way that you um eat wild turkey that you really enjoy
3: so i get my background from turkey um my parents own a domestic turkey farm so i've grown up in the meat industry on the poultry side so i look at i look at domestic turkeys and at the same way that i look at wild turkeys um are there going to be taste differences yes is there going to be a texture difference slightly but you know when it push comes to shove if i've got a good recipe for a domestic turkey it will translate for a wild turkey it just might take a little bit of play i am uh, hands down a lover of dark meat So, it breaks my heart to hear that, yeah, I got some fist bumping over here. (laughs) It breaks my heart to know, like, oh, yeah, I breasted out my, you know, my hen or I breasted out my tom. And it's like, oh, the legs. What about the legs? What about the thighs? Those luscious thighs that, man, something low and slow is going to just treat those things amazing. So, I'll take a whole leg quarter and couple different things that i'll do if i if i want to get shredded that drumstick is going to be immediately shredded uh not going to try to make the caveman style where i you know smoke it and try to keep it on the bone there is just so many tendons inside of that uh leg that you're you're never going to get through without half of them stuck in your teeth at that point so i'll get to the point where you add a you know add your brine to that point give it an overnight in a in a bucket clean bucket by the way make sure you add your brine into it um heavier on this i go three cups of salt uh yeah three cups of salt per gallon of water and i might even cut that salt with brown sugar so it'll be like a brown sugar salt combo half cup and a half of each into one gallon of water now that's going to change on how much i'm trying to brine at one time but that's my ratio Give that to brian overnight, maybe even two days if it's a really old tom. You know, if it's a rope dragger, give him time to, to let that thing do the work. Um, head over to the smoker, and hickory works really well with turkey. Uh, mesquite's gonna be a little tough uh, or a little strong. Oak's gonna be a little strong. Uh, any fruit wood is gonna be good. You know, anything you use for pork is gonna work awesome on on your wild turkey. And give it a give it a good smoke. But to the point where you've got it to have flavor, it's darkened, don't overdo the smoke. There's a lot of points, too. The guys will be like, oh, I put four hours of smoke on something. Give it it two hours, and you're going to be happy with that flavor. You're going to taste that smoke, but at the same time, you're not going to only taste that smoke. So you've added the smoke onto that. What I would do at this point, is wrap it. And if it's on my, I smoke on my charcoal grill. If it's on my charcoal grill, I'm going to pull it off. I'm going to wrap it in foil. Or if I got butcher paper, wrap it in that. And then I'm going to go to the most even cooking vessel I have. If that's to, if that's to an electric smoker, great. If that's to your oven, that's going to have an even temp. Great. Something that you can hold that temperature, something that you can keep things even and, and that's going to do the rest of your cook at that point. Now that it's been wrapped up, I just lost him again.
1: Hold on, folks. Okay, folks, we are back with Nick again. Thank God we're experiencing these technical (laughs) difficulties with a fellow podcaster because he understands, understands gets it.
3: (laughs) I tell you, these are fellows that you give them a three-access multi-pin setup, and they're going to be able to tell you the ins and outs of how to use this thing. They could pattern a buck for you, but when it comes to us trying to navigate the interwebs, Man, this, I feel like I'm drooling out the corner of my mouth sometimes when I'm using this new... The
1: problem with guys like us, and Nick, you explained this to us um, when we started, is you live out in the middle of nowhere, and I live out in the middle of nowhere. And trying to do stuff over the internet can be difficult it, when your internet sucks. Yeah, it just doesn't work out very well.
2: I don't <laughs> like, know. That's why well, I we- got
3: my... I got my six-year-old holding up the dish. I think his arms got tired. That's probably honestly why. Yeah.
1: He needs to get back. He needs to get to work. You need to really get, you know, crack yeah. that whip, dad. Yeah, yeah exactly. But let's, no,
2: get, well, yeah, let's higher. <laughs> But let's get back into it. You were just explaining uh, the wild turkey. You put the smoke yeah. on it for two hours. You're wrapping it, and you're going to put it in, say, an oven or something where you can have a
3: constant temperature. What are you doing after that? constant temp and it's going to be five or six hours that you're going to really have to put uh the low slow heat on that um the godfather um hank shaw he says that even a rock will succumb to time and temperature so just be vigilant at that you're going to get that bird to the point where you are going to be able to shred that and at that point once you've unwrapped that And you are gifted with this piece of glorious dark meat that you aren't going to have to slice. You're just going to, just like a pork shoulder, when you pull out that blade bone, you're going to pull that femur off of that thigh. And you're just going to be left with these luscious pieces of dark wild turkey meat. A lot of stuff that just gets left out there and people say, oh, it's going to be dry. If you just take care of it real low and slow, it's going to reward you with i mean this is the greatest sandwich material right here if you're looking for a sloppy tom that's what i call them but you take that thigh and you add some barbecue sauce to it i go with more of a tangier barbecue sauce if it's vinegar based it's even better man you slather that stuff on or put it on a hawaiian roll yeah 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 put it on a hawaiian roll and you're good to go. I know you guys are like sweet baby Ray country, but at the same time, keeping it tangy. is <laughs> not wrong. Is also... <laughs>
2: <laughs> not, see, that's where you're sure. I do love, I love, so I yeah, mean, I'll use we're, it. We're down here in Kansas city known for our barbecue, but I got family and I grew up in North Carolina and stuff. So I, I love that vinegar base too. So I, I like both
3: worlds. So good. Yeah. Even if you can get, I mean, just a dang brown, spicy mustard on that too. <clears throat> It is, it's dynamite. So if you're leaving your leg quarters out there, let that be the last time you've done that. You need to pull out those leg quarters and take care of them. Well, I'll say this.
1: I asked you the question about wild turkey. I'm not really sure why, because I'm probably the shittiest turkey hunter that there is. (laughs) But maybe in some time in the next decade, if I kill one, I can actually try a different way to eat it. Not that I don't like frying I mean, I do. I really like it, but there's you know, like I, like I said earlier, there's got to be another way to to enjoy a wild turkey. So uh, that's going to be the way we try it, Micah. Yeah, there you go. So that we have a goal this
3: spring. Yeah.
2: Just Come to April, we get actually kill one
1: up. and then do something with it. Yeah, we just
2: got
3: kill there. It first. You go. <laughs> and hey, share that. Share that uh, stuff with me too, man. I I love it when. You know, somebody does, they try it out for the first time and they're like, dang, this is, I don't know why I did this before. And it's like, man, to be able to use pieces that you haven't before and not even to the point where it's like, you know, you're, you're working and using this obscure piece of meat. No, we're just using the legs and thighs that, you know, we just hadn't approached it in this different way that might even bring more of a passion to you guys, even, uh, getting into wild turkeys even more. It just picks up that desire not only knowing that you're going to have your fried breast that is incredible, but at the same time to double it up with some pulled leg quarters. It just it just makes it all all worthwhile.
1: Yeah, that sounds awesome. No, that that sounds like a great plan to me. I'm hungry now. <laughs> Whatever time it is. <laughs> well, folks, listen, you got three really great ideas to to go home and and I mean, we just got through a deer season, so I'm hoping a lot of folks listening to us tonight or today are are have a full freezer of venison, and then you know uh, tur- spring turkey season in Missouri is coming up, so this is something to keep in the back of your mind for when you do harvest something. So you got three great ideas, and those are just scratching the the, the small surface of what Nick talks about in his podcast, The Huntervore. So make sure you check it out. Um, we i love actually like i said i like listening to you nick and then i just feel like the world's worst cook afterwards (laughs) uh or just really in general i just feel like a bad person because nick's nick knows what he's talking about with that so um we really appreciate you coming on and talking to us and kind of um going down that road with us i was excited to hear some of these cool recipes i've got i've got some steaks um from this deer this year ready to go and i'm i'm gonna try that as soon as possible And, yes, I'm going to make more jerky. What would you call them, cat turds? Cat turds. (laughs) Cat turd jerky. You betcha. I'm going to do that, too. So um, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, We really appreciate you. You got anything else for him, Micah?
2: I don't think
3: so, man.
1: All right. Thanks, Nick.
3: Hey, it's my pleasure, fellas. Thank you for having me on.
1: All right. That's the show. I'm hungry. I would say that was spectacular. It was
2: spectacular. Yes, it was. But now I'm just hungry and I've already eaten dinner so but I do pass a McDonald's on the way home <laughs> that is going
1: that is going to be subpar to what we just Yes
2: about. I really w- I really want to try that steak recipe I mean with the mayonnaise and stuff I mean that makes a lot of
1: sense if you think about it I can't wait to do it I've got yeah I've got backstra or not backstraps uh, well yes but I got filets sitting in the freezer Yeah I'm definitely going to try that out for sure definitely want to I never even I mean, it never even crossed my mind to try it that way. I've never, I've never put a steak in the oven.
2: I've done the reverse sear. I mean, but, but just on the, but yeah, I, I just use it on my pellet yeah. just because it's essentially the same thing. You're just using smoke, and uh, I'm we'll, going to do it verbatim how Nick talked about it in the episode. See, but here's the problem where you're going to have you prefer, and we should have talked about this on the episode. You mm, prefer medium, a medium steak. Yep you're ruining
1: the steak not at medium settle down there okay no. settle down i just don't want it mooing at me steak that's all there is to it steak should at the very least be medium rare okay so fight. i'm i'm one step above where I will you
2: want it to you. be i will fight you <laughs> there's you're not getting the full potential the full flavor potential that you could in tenderness by cooking your steak medium
1: Okay, so I'll do it the way he told me to, and then you'll do be happy. Rare.
2: Just do a medium rare. That's all I'm asking. I'll, I will definitely try it. I've okay. gotten better. That's no doubt. Yeah. If I can get your sister to do medium rare, I'd be very happy. But she she she's she, she <laughs> not doing it. Not doing it. Not
1: going to do it.
2: Yeah. So that's um, okay, though. Whatever.
1: And I can't wait to attempt to kill a bird this year and try that out. Yeah. I'm going to have to go back and re-listen to that, too, because there was a lot. Lot to that that I didn't quite get. So I'm gonna, well, just
2: the briming I mean, that yeah. brine that's really gonna. And I've done that before on different things, turkeys and stuff like that. If I know I'm gonna, or chicken, if I know I'm gonna do a long smoke on them or something like that, I'll brine them overnight, and that does really help keep that moisture in there. So I can understand what what he's getting at. And so yeah, we're but we'll we'll try that
1: this spring whenever we smoke a bird. I did a spatchcock one year. A what? A, cup, a spatchcock chicken, or was that? Did I say that right? I have no idea. A little tiny chicken little thing. Or is it spatchcock turkey? Excuse me. A little is tiny it, thing. I don't know. And uh, I ru- I did not prime. <laughs> I ruined that thing so bad. It's a, it was a jerky. Did you turn it into jerky? No, it was trash. <laughs> I, I ruined it. I mean, it was that bad. It huh? was that bad. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to try that out if I ever kill a bird. So, hope everybody enjoyed that. Check out Nick. Yep. Uh, he is The Hunt of on the Sportsman's Nation Network. You can find him on our network. You can also find him if you search his his podcast name. It is The Hunt of H-U-N-T-A-V-O-R-E. So um, check him out. Um, give us a follow. Give us a uh, like and subscribe. And There all you that. go, all that fun stuff. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. So, And uh, we'll catch you next week. See you. Bye.